We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Soccer Radio. This is Derek C. Paul, my co-host, my partner in crime on this Sunday evening. Michael Stewart, a former Los Angeles Rams defensive back. Mike, another week gone yes. by. We're getting closer and closer to that league year starting all over again. And yes, news is starting is. to yes, pick it up. Is. How are you doing? 
Yes, it is. I am doing great, DC, and uh, man, ready to just get on into some of this interesting news that we got out the last few days and weeks. A lot of inter- in- a lot of really interesting stuff, actually, and most of it happens to be stuff that flew under the radar. Just is kind of from some news and notes from what was it Thursday? Was it Thursday morning? Yeah, Thursday Thursday's presser that just went under the radar to the, is at the combine and and I think we're so focused on these draft picks and well future draft picks and all these rookies coming up that we missed this at least many people did but I'll tell you who didn't Ramswire didn't Ramswire caught this and gave us the full notebook on we're going to talk all about it also other stuff including one we missed last week I didn't I wanted to get to it but we just ran out of time Greg Robinson getting caught with a ton of pot not literally but you know, a lot of pot heading yeah. heading east. That means a lot of pot, okay? Yeah, and enough among to supply the uh, country, maybe. <laughs> Not that many. Jeez, <laughs> talk about exaggeration, but a lot. And of course, <laughs> you know, rumors about the tight end position, statements about the greatest show on turf, who the Rams might just be playing at SoFi. Lots of stuff to get to. We're going to try and go through it nice and quickly today. We want to get you all updated and out of here in. An hour or less. That's our goal here tonight. No no rambling, no hour and 15. Quite frankly, I don't think there's a reason to stay too long and take too much of your time up. So first things first, before we get there, we do want to say we are sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood's Team. We also remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, Spreaker, and of course, Apple Music, where we still have that contest going on for a Rams jersey. All you got to do, five-star review, goes over at Apple Music. Get a screenshot of it. It needs to be a written review because we can't tell exactly what it is just without the without the written. That email goes to ranstop1945 at gmail.com, and we enter you right into the contest. And, of course, we'll read your feedback on the show. So moving forward here, Mike, the combine is going on. It's actually just finishing up by now, and by the time this posts, probably tonight, um, it'll be over with. But... Lots of stuff came out the first day, the 27th, and under the radar. Completely yeah. under the radar. I just, I was reading over all this stuff, getting ready for the show, and I saw this. I got, I got to put this right at the top of the, the podcast. We got to talk about this stuff because these are things that we've been kind of toying with. We've been, we've been asking questions about, and here we go. So there's an article over at Rams Wire that talks about the different notes from this combine, from the combine presser. And among the things that is mentioned, and let me see, make sure I give credit to the, to the proper author here. The author is, of course, probably Cameron. Yep, Cameron DeSilva wrote it nice and early on the 27th, so this is probably from the night before. And yep. he picks up different things that that I think a lot of folks in, in the media didn't make too big of a deal out of. Well, going back now, get a chance to reread it. It looks pretty significant to me. It looks very significant to me. Among the points brought up, and I will go through them piece by piece and get your thoughts. The first point he brought up was the, the idea that the Rams might use the franchise tag, which I had taken for granted, I think, because they're so close to the salary cap threshold as it is to go ahead and use the franchise tag on a little tin or, you know, a Fowler may be problematic. They're saying they might just do it. If they do, that would mean some more changes. 
and go over to you, Mike. What do you think of the odds of this happening? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I just think one of those things, it's an option. You know, it's an option. But is it an option they're really probably going to use? Uh, there's so many more ramifications, possibly. I think it, you know, I guess it's 50-50, but probably not. You know, I mean, it was noted in an article, you know, Coach McVeigh or uh, Mr. Sneed would, would obviously like to, you know, they feel they're pretty close want to get the, the the thing done, you know, with the franchise tag. It's basically for one year, then you're back at it again. So I'm sure they get a lot more flexibility by getting a deal done where they could spread things over a number of years. The way I view it, though, they have to renegotiate or, or cut somebody they probably don't want to cut. They have to cut a, a couple different players if they do want to franchise somebody. I don't see them going that route. I, I see them trying to avoid this as much as possible the only way I can see it happening is if they really decide they want Corey or Fowler back and they're not staying unless they franchise. That's the only thing I can think of. And if they do that, they're going to have to convince somebody to renegotiate. They're not going to have enough money to get other things done, to fill other gaps as it is, unless they they make some other cuts. I mean, Well, that's why... You know, we talked a little bit last week about trying to have, you know, a bird's eyes view through a crystal ball in the sense of seeing how or what they as a staff unit may be thinking, management, coaching, so on and so forth. But for that to kind of get leaked out, you would you would think that they have a contingency plan already in place uh, because for them to even make that somewhat of an option. That means they probably already figure, well, we would renegotiate with these three or four guys. We would do this. We would do that. Put the tag on here. Uh, you know, with the tag, it, whoever it's on, it's going to guarantee them, you know, that top five average of the people at their position, which will be probably a significant increase for either one of those guys. So, yeah, you know, like we we're saying, you know, it's going to get interesting as time starts playing out things begin to reveal themselves a little bit more. Well, it's funny because you said leak out. It didn't even leak out. They were uh, just forthright about it. And the presser, they're just like, yeah, well, we might use it. We might use it. And I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, this is less Snead. He'll do anything. But sooner or later, all those risky moves catch up to you. And we know it's going to happen sooner rather than later. So I'm just really interested in seeing where they go, the only thing, only person I could see really making that move to renegotiate would probably be Jared Goff. He would clear up a ton of money, but they can cut. They can cut. We've talked about it. They can cut Clay Matthews. They can cut Roby Coleman. They can cut a couple of these guys. And I don't think they really want to, though. I think they want to try and keep these veterans around. You have a team that is is losing some players next year, no matter what. So I don't know. But here, speaking of signing people, though. Another note that Cameron has there is Jalen Ramsey. They're noting that the extension may have to wait. He may have to play this year under the current contract and then renegotiate because they're waiting on the collective bargaining agreement. I kind of felt that was how it was going to go anyways. They, they are short on cash. They, if they try and put the money in through the extension now, it'd be a problem. They'll probably try and roll over cash from this year once the roster settles over to next year, kind of like the end of this year. And uh, I would think, Mike, maybe tell me if I'm wrong, it's going to be next next offseason. They're going to have to try and figure this out. That's when a couple of these bigger contracts can come off the books anyways. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they're, 
you know, they're, they're all, all the teams really are buying some time right now. No one really knows. There's a, you know, somewhat of a framework on what the numbers could be or might be. But until it's actually signed and sealed and delivered, uh, no one's going to know. And who's to say when it's it is signed, sealed, delivered? We know that NFL has been known to go back, renegotiate with these different networks or some other networks say, hey, we want to come in there. But when one of the networks drops 17 mil into a guy who's just going to be calling games hand, you got to think that the league is saying, yeah, we're going to get a lot more money out of this thing. I think they are. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that it's not signed yet. Never with you want that relief out of the way. But it's pretty clear the players and the owners aren't that far off. Although, I don't know if you saw this tweet from Michael Thomas from the Saints talking about Tony Romo getting that contract for $17 million a year. And he's saying, he's saying, this is why I'm saying don't sign that contract. Look at what people like Romo are getting. They're not even playing football. I'm paraphrasing right. him. Right. I don't know about, I mean, you're getting paid by two different entities there. I'm not sure why you would go there, but... Yeah, there are some folks who are saying don't sign it. Go for more money. What do you think? Well, I'm probably going to, you know, obviously be a former player, get as much as you can. I just do think it's a little interesting. Uh, Again, you can say two different revenue streams, but not really, you know, TV contracts and basically is where a lot of the money for the NFL salaries are coming from. So, uh that's where that pool of money is going to pay, you know, announcers who are announcing, whether it's uh, Romo, Aikman, and going down the list. But, uh, yeah, it just kind of eye-opening in the sense that if a guy who's been a player made decent money while he was, but making a tremendous amount more by just calling some of the games, talking about football, that just seems, a, you know, a little bit different. Obviously, there's a lot more expenses with – you know, teams, travel, injuries, and care and all that stuff. But it's just food for thought. And uh, having been in those negotiating rooms is the typical first time they come with the deal means there's a lot more on top of that. Yeah, but on the flip side, though, they still are different entities. CBS are the ones who are going to make the decision to pay Romo for that money, for that time, for that Job okay. The NFL is not making the call. They're paying CBS is paying the NFL for rights, but the NFL is not paying Robo. So I mean they're related, but they're not. It's two different well, paychecks. Two different groups are paying that paycheck. Even the money is in some way, shape, or form coming from similar revenue circles. Well, the the idea though is simply this. If the talent is on the field or the marketing or whatever you want to call it, then why wouldn't more money be in that pool than outside of that pool? So that's ultimately kind of what it comes down to. TV contract is going to come from a CBS, NBC, ESPN, Fox. You know, now there's talk about, you know, Netflix and everybody else getting in on it. So as these TV deals go up, up and up, the NFL, what are they representing? Well, on one hand, they're representing the players, the commodity that's on the field. So if you look at it from that standpoint, in my opinion, uh, there's always more money to be made. Well, I mean, there's always more money to be made. I'm just making the point that it's two different paid. There's two different signatures on those paychecks, one coming from CBS, one coming from the NFL, and therefore it's two different markets. The CBS is saying 
that for this position, they believe he's worth this much. The NFL may not say the same thing, or NFL team may or may not say the same thing about a player. It's a different market. One's one's TV analyst market, what they think he's worth, versus the NFL saying, or a team saying what Michael Thomas is worth. And by the way, Michael Thomas is probably going to make his make around that first contract, won't he? Like 17, 18 mil? Well, you would hope so, but I guess, I guess when I look at it, I'm looking at the pool of money. The pool of money that player salaries will come out of is going to come from the collective TV contracts that the NFL is able to negotiate for themselves. So when you're talking about the pool of money, yes, then it's coming from the same entity per se. Does that make but it's sense? not the same pool, though. Why not? Well, because the money that CBS is paying over to the NFL, that's earmarked money. That that money is from them already. And then CBS is paying paying Tony Romo for the money they're getting from like advertising. That's that's a different section right there. That that's their revenue, and the NFL is getting their revenue from the networks. It's, it's right, a different revenue stream. What, what what? Yeah, but what is CBS? A TV network. A network, right? Yeah, a TV network. So they negotiate the rights, NFL, hey, we want to show your commodity on our station. Cool. We're going to negotiate and we're going to give you X amount of dollars for those rights. Cool. That same network hires announcers. It's not like it's a whole nother separate entity. It's just we're hiring announcers ourselves. We negotiate a contract for all teams through NFL. But it's a different revenue stream, Mike. How so? Okay. How is the NFL getting their money? NFL gets their money from the network deals that they negotiate. Okay. So how is the network getting its money? The networks get their money through advertising dollars. That's a different stream. No, it's not. Yes, it is. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, you could say it's a different stream, but the NFL or the networks, they're able to say, hey, we're able to show X amount of do- uh, TVs, uh, games on these many Sundays. We're going to now go out in the marketplace and then sell the advertising minutes to whatever entities. CVS is still at the top of the heap. Well, sure. But this is the idea of, of you're taking your money, CBS. And you're investing it in what you think is going to make you money. So they're investing in the NFL, in that TV contract. And then they're investing in an analyst they believe helps present their presentation of the NFL. That's still different streams. They're paying one avenue here, one avenue here. And either though, even though they're related, they're still separate. So if you're talking about a player... A, but who's making money? I mean, the NFL is making money from different streams, right? They're making money from CBS. They're making money from uh, what, Amazon because they're, they're contract to, contract out to them. They're making it from NBC. They're making it from ESPN, which is Disney. Where else are they making money from? The radio, well, radios you know, as well. Radio concessions. Uh, yeah, yeah. Down the line. I mean, that's still a but different what I'm stream. Saying, what I'm saying is, I think is what you know. I, I think we're. We're saying somewhat of the same thing. I'm saying CVS is at the top of the hill. If there's no NFL games, there's no need for a Tony Romo. So without the commodity in place, NFL, games, players, there's no reason for anybody tied uh, 
whomever else, Downey, you know, Uber. There's no need for them to say, oh, we're going to just give you a bunch of money to advertise what on where. Then they would have to go to what is a TV show where they could say, hey, this is a top rated TV show. We can sell advertising dollars there. If there's no NFL football players, if there's no body out there playing, there's no need for Tony Romo or any other announcer. To, what are they going to announce? But is that not still a separate market? It's because not. They're separate jobs. Mind, they're separate jobs, though, Mike. Well, they're separate jobs, but what I'm saying is, at the end of the day, the money is coming through the same flow of money. It's going to go well, coming from CBS from the and flow down to whatever they want. But CBS yeah. is reaching a deal with the NFL based in their, and they are paying for the product the NFL wants, right? Right. Michael Thomas is getting a contract from an NFL team. His team owner is the one negotiating with him on that deal. That's still a separate stream. The market's different. They're related, but it's... The CBS is not this. Here we go. CBS is not deciding what Michael Thomas is worth. CBS no. is deciding what Tony Romo is worth. The NFL and then down the stream, the New Orleans, New Orleans Saints are the ones who are deciding what Michael Thomas is worth. That's their market. Right, but the, the New Orleans Saints are going to decide what they're worth based on the money that they're able to pull from the pool of money from the advertising dollars through quote unquote the CBSs, the NBCs and so on. Well so as that pool increases, well what why how does that pool increase? Because the NFL says we want to charge more for whatever how you're going to market us, show us on your network stations. But still who's paying the paychecks? There's still a different market. I mean their revenue the NFL's revenue from CBS is a direct line contract f- for such and such amount of money. And they renegotiate just like they would for the union contract later on. The, the, right? So it's a different contract with each analyst you're paying. You're paying. It's the same entity they're getting money from, but they're for different reasons. They're related, sure, indirectly, but they're not. it's not the same money flow. No matter what we say, well, no matter what we say... He's not Michael Thomas is not saying the market for an analyst, just like Tony Romo's not saying the market for an NFL receiver. No, but I guess where we're differing is simply this. I'm saying at the end of the day, the money is coming through really the same stream. Now, if you have a stream and you put a a diversion, you know, you build a, a beaver's nest where, okay, this water is now going into that river and then that water is going into that river. Yeah, if you go back up the river far enough, you're going to see that that river water is coming from the same stream. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, at the end of the day, you can say it's a different entity. It's the NFL team. Without players, there's no NFL team owner. Then there's no network to be on and therefore there's no CBS to try to show games and then go out in the marketplace and get advertising dollars for CBS. You can flip it around and say, well, if there's no CBS, we put all the who put all the money and research into the technology for building that network across the country and so on and so forth. You could always flip that around. 
Well, that's not true because Bob Johnson built a network that was called BET with his own money. So NFL teams wanted to get their own networks with a lot of them do in their own local areas. They could absolutely do that. But, Mike, if they were going to do that, they would do it. They already have the NFL network. If the, if the NFL felt that it was they were going to make more money going off on their own, they would have already done it. They already have the NFL That's, network. They already have all that well, stuff. That, they have all the capabilities to do it. They could have done it. Yeah, not so, not so true. It's kind of like, why reinvent the wheel? If but, I can go build and make my own tire shop, my tires, and build tires, but why would I do that if I already got Goodyear? Okay, as well, it's vertical integration. Goodyear. What's that? It's vertical integration. You've, you cut out well, all the different middlemen. But there's also, that's the reason why the NFL per se is able to somewhat have their books closed because they haven't done something like that. Therefore, the money that the NFL and owners make, no one really knows because it's all secret. And that's the big deal. Well, they're they're willing to now keep cutting these deals because they really don't want to have to really open up the books. And then everybody knows how much teams are really making and these owners are really making. But but so, you're making my point, Mike, because in the end, they have all these other risk factors that also take that go into their market and what they're willing to spend and where they're willing to go. CBS doesn't have that limitation. So they're going to go out there and pay whoever they want, whatever they want. That's not Tony Romo's fault that, you know, Michael Thomas is not getting paid the same rate or the players themselves aren't getting paid the same rate. It's a, it's still because of that, it's still a different stream. Same. It's well, indirect, they're related. Sure. I'll, I'll grant you. I mean, I agree they're related, but if it was all the same stream, then we're probably not having this conversation because they're not owned. Well, they're I, different I, I owners. More than importantly, you know, and, 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 you know, we can go round and round. We'll probably get on the other part of the show, you know, and I'll just kind of <laughs> end it here is I think basically the, the sentiment is how is a guy who formerly played the game now making more than a guy who played the game when he's just commentating? That's it. Now, yeah, CBS can pay him whatever, but the reality of it is if Tony Romo was making a million dollars, that might be too much to just commentate because at the sure. end of the day, people can say, oh, I can't wait to hear Tony Romo talk. They're not thinking about that. Okay, he's on there. They're going to go watch the game. John Madden, as great as he was way back when, when we used to race home to see Howard Cosell. We didn't really care about him. We was going to see, man, the Steelers on the night. Man, the Rams on the night. Man, and, you know, my favorite team. Nobody wasn't going home like, man, I can't wait to hear what Howard Cosell has to say. That's not why people tune in. They don't tune in to hear Tony Romo. But the fact is, the network can play Tony Romo. Yeah, whatever they want. What he's saying, I'm saying, I'm suggesting from a player standpoint, that doesn't really make sense that a guy who's actually taking the risk of paralysis, CTE, all the other things, how is he making less than a guy who's sitting somewhere just talking about the game of football? But didn't Tony Romo already take that risk? How so? Well, he already played the game. He already risked the CTE. He already risked all those things. But he did to a degree, but when you look at it across the board, you know, he, he made a lot more money than Michael Thomas ever was thinking about making. So let's try it this way. Okay. You and I were both yeah. we we're both in the teaching field, right? Now yes, sir. without disclosing our salaries. Mm-hmm. 
would we say we, in the grand scheme of things, given all that we do, are paid what we're worth? Not at all. Okay. That's just, who sets the market for us? The districts. Okay. So the, in, well, in the districts case, and the California. field. Okay. The districts, yeah. the state of California plays a role in it for you. Ohio does right. for me. Right. But, I mean, I, I would argue that all these teachers across the country played a major role in these folks getting educated, both at the college and high school level, to get where they are. So Absolutely. I should be paid a lot. I should be paid much more. Okay. Absolutely. So, I mean, I could sit there and say, yes, I should be paid much more. But in the end, who signed my paychecks? Is it the... Uh, the professionals out there or is it the district? So they're still, even though they, there is relation, CBS is still paying what they feel he's worth. And that's the problem. They're related. They're, they go to report, but in the end, CBS does not decide what Michael Thomas is worth. Just like CBS or heck, even, even our parents, our parents don't even decide what we're worth. Our parents, just, our parents, Pay into the property taxes that are put there in front of us, and, and there you go. They could they could say, "Hey, we're worth less." Hopefully not, but that's what I'm trying to say. CBS is, is not deciding what Michael Thomas is worth now. If CBS owned the NFL, it's a different story. If CBS is, that's all my point. I mean, we, we're going to be here all night. We, we can go for hours. This is all the economics we can get into for one hour as it is. Uh, <laughs> we can go and go and go. Um, and that took us away from the actual part I was going to next. I just can't believe we went totally off task there, folks. And uh, another part of the article was Goff's regression. McVeigh says he doesn't believe that Goff regressed. True or false? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a interesting topic. What's your thoughts? I don't think he regressed. I do think he didn't progress. I think he stayed... Well, I wouldn't say that. I'll, I think he stayed very much what he was last year and didn't progress much at all until later in the year. What's different to me was the offensive line not being what it was for much of the year, what it needed to be, and the running game not being what it needed to be. And let's be honest, the lack of comfort that I think that I think Sean McVay felt with his personnel and with teams adjusting to what he wanted to do. I don't think this really has much to do with Goff regressing at all because he showed those same flaws at the end of, the, end of last year. He showed it sometimes in the Super Bowl. He showed it sometimes um, down the stretch to loss to the Eagles in 2018, the loss to the Bears. We saw all that. I, don't, I just don't think he improved that much. I think we saw some late in the year. I think we can agree on that, can't we? Yeah, we can. We can. I think, you know, I think he came in this season and didn't really – I get the impression he didn't put in the work that he needed to put in to, to go to the next level. That's what I believe. I don't think he got worse. I just think he didn't get better. There are other factors. Well, I, I think you one one point needs you know maybe be put out there a little bit more is you know teams had a lot more tape on him as well, and so when you have that, that can make you look as though you've not put in the work because teams are just better prepared. But the thing is, you have to now double down on your preparation, figuring that other teams are figuring you out or figuring the offense out and things like that. And, you know, go back to the basics. I mean, we saw a lot of times where 
you know, maybe just holding the ball too long, you know, errant throws, things like that, you know, not just taking what the defense is giving them or, you know, and part of that is pressing. And I, and my thing is when you get a huge raise in pay, you're going to, no matter how much he says, oh, no, I didn't let that affect you. It's going to affect you because internally you want to make sure you're proving that you're worth the payment of that much increase in salary. So I think it had a lot to do with, with that as well. Teams just figuring you out a little bit more and more tape and you just put an internal pressure on yourselves, which then compounds itself. Or as we saw in certain games, it just looked like very being very ineffective. There's one thing with it too. I, I think sometimes when you're put in a position where you are actually getting paid a bunch of money and you're not in a place maturity wise where you're seeing the need to prepare more. So, you know, to me, it very well could have been he's getting paid extra money, he's more comfortable, he goes into the season, realizes that he did not prepare the way he did and he made things worse by then panicking because he knows he jacked this thing up. I mean, this game is just as much mental as any other sport out there, especially for a quarterback. And how many times, honestly, how many times have we all gone into a situation realizing, well, thinking we're confident in what's going on and realizing that I'm not ready for this and you pay the price for it. This, that's, that's real life stuff, you know? That can go from a college test down to something else. Oh, absolutely. So, there we go. I mean, and here's this one too. Another thing he notes as well is that, will the Rams be cautious in the draft? I love to hear what you think of this one. The team says it might. What do you think? Well, I don't know that they need to be cautious in the draft. They just need to draft, you know, for need. And, work. you know, once it comes, their time to pick. They should have done their homework, which they should be doing now, and be ready to go on draft day. Uh, I don't know there needs to be caution. Uh, they just need to be ready to pick the guys that we need to get our team better. I don't think they should be talking strategy at all, but I don't know that they haven't been cautious before. Almost every draft pick of theirs played last year on on the team. Every one of them at one point, except for Dakota Allen. And Dakota Allen went somewhere else. He played. So this team is drafting well. They are getting guys on the field they move back, they maneuver in the draft. Is that what you would describe as being cautious or aggressive? I don't know. I mean, what are you really looking for in terms of defining a cautious draft? For me, I'm saying I would think that it would be that if there's a player that you believe is a can't miss at sitting there in round two, or you have the option of moving back, you take that player. Is that cautious or is that, or is that smart? How would you define it? Right. That's what I mean. You're you're going to hopefully have a strategy in place before you even get there. And if you've done your homework correctly, you can be close to predicting at least one or two and maybe even three guys who will be available when it's your time to pick. That being the case, if you've got your one, two or three players, you should be able to be able to nail it on who you need when the actual time is for you to say, and the Rams now draft such and such from wherever. You should be prepared for that. 
I mean, you, you have, you know, scouts are starting at the middle way through the year, you know, looking at guys coming out, you know, they're using the pre-combine time, they use the combine time, and a little bit after before the actual draft day to be able to start, you know, solidifying on one, need, and then two, if you're going with need, you just got to stick to the plan. And that's what we talked about earlier. Are the Rams going to stick to what their plan is? You know, if their plan is, oh, we want to have all this hoobla going into the new stadium and then we just do a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense. Or are we going to say we're going to stick to our plan, whether we make it to the playoffs or not next year, because we know the following year is actually the year we're ready to go full bore on this thing. Having tried it, you know, last year, all year before being all in last year kind of came back to us. And then we got to decide, you know, what's this year supposed to be? We trying to make this to the Super Bowl or we just actually trying to build a good, solid team for years to come. So there's just it'll be interesting again. You know, I think we'll see a little bit more play out as things go about it. But, you know, I think they've been aggressive. You know, that's the Jalen Ramsey's coming. You know what I mean? And things like that, you know, willing to make trades and things like that. But. Uh, I think we'll talk about a little more. I'm going to bring up something else when we get to this girly workload thing. Well, about to go there in a second. When it comes to the draft, I think the Rams have been cautious the whole way through. I think they've had their finger on the pulse of where they believe players are going to fall, and they go in there and get them. And I think that's why they've been able to make a lot of their draft picks work. So I don't know if there's a such thing as being cautious with them. I think that they are who they are. I don't think you can define them as being aggressive or cautious because, I mean, if you're moving back and getting more more picks, you could define either way. They're being cautious. They're trying to get more picks, trying to make sure they get deaf. Or if they move up, you could say, well, they're being aggressive or they're being cautious because they're going for the person they believe is the, the guy and they don't trust anything else. So they're, they're going for the one thing and no work. I don't know how anybody can define what they mean by cautious except for their history and their history says they just are who they are. I mean, that's less, you know, just will go up or down. He'll go wherever he wants to go. And I don't know that you can ever define it. So, uh, workload here. You want to go there. You seem like you're ready to roll. I'm peeved by it. Not going to lie to you. I'm a, I'm a bit, (laughs) I'm a bit peeved by that statement. I'm not going to lie. The idea here, girlies workload. They don't expect him to, uh, reach a higher workload, they expect him to carry about the same workload he had last year, and the, and the reasoning is because they are going to be, you know, they they want him fresh, basically. They just want him fresh. Go, Mike. Just go. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what fresh and all that means. This, this is just beyond me. I mean, again, I look at the greatest backs. I look at a guy like Barry Sanders who ran behind lines that – weren't lines for NFL caliber. I mean, he literally, you know, ran and ran and ran for, for you know, yards with little to no blocking most of those years. A couple good years, he had a couple good lines. But other than that, you know, you just kind of go down the list of, of players who didn't have everything that they needed just to run through wide open holes, and they went out there and got it done. I mean, a guy like Terrell Davis, he played the game with severe migraine headaches, you know, 
and went out there and got it done. So, again, this goes back to, and I don't know how his knee is or isn't, but it just seems to me is like I'm going to grind till I get my pay paper, as they say, my paycheck, my increase in salary. And then whatever happens after that, it is what it is. And so it just seems to me it's like now we're sitting here stuck with a player who they know going into the draft, you know, maybe had limited time as far as his knee. And unfortunately, it seems like he may be one of those guys that, yeah, his knee is only it was only going to go so far. You know, I played with a guy, James Washington, came in with a similar situation after having two knee injuries his junior, senior year at UCLA, uh, but carved out eight-year career and at a pretty high level. But that was a different guy who kind of came from, I, I want to have it, I want to be productive, I want to be a great player. And, you know, again, our time, we, we played a little bit more for the love of the game uh, until, you know, salaries kind of started getting up there to end our career. But, I just, I just, I'm with you. I just, when I start hearing this kind of stuff and he said something about the science of the game and all that, it's like, come on, Les, this is science of the game. What you guys doing? You guys paying a guy a lot of money and you're saying you're now going to do this. We want him fresh at the end of the year. Well, why don't you just tell him to come when it's playoffs? I don't get it. You mentioned Barry Sanders. I want to bring this up real quick because I just realized something. There's a game that I watched years and years ago. I actually was 16 years old. It was the Miami Dolphins versus the Detroit Lions. It was the last game of the season in 1994. Am I bringing back memories yet? And if I remember correctly, the belief was that Barry Sanders was was going to run all over the Dolphins that day. That was the national belief. He was going for 2,000 yards and... Instead, the uh, do you remember this now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so instead, though, Barry runs for let me see if I get this right. Fifty-two yards on twelve carries. That's it that day. Twelve carries as your defense shut down Dave Craig and the Lions. And I remember watching that game, being so ticked off. I wanted to see Barry Sanders get the two thousand yards, and you guys shut him down. You, you do remember that game now, right? I do. Okay, so I guess two things coming from that. I'm sorry, folks, to move off topic. Before I go back to talk, I'll forget. You guys don't want to forget. Who was the best running back you ever seen play? The best running back I ever seen play was Eric Dickerson, in my opinion. You know, I just that, – that guy was incredible. And, uh, you know, I'll pull up highlights all the time just, you know, looking at him. And, man, it just would have been interesting to see – you know, had he been able to stay, you know, with us, the Rams that whole time, you know, as far as playing against the guy, you know, Barry Sanders has to be up there uh, amongst the leaders in regards to just what he could do. And I'm going to say not like fear and like, ooh, I'm shaking in my boots, but it's like, man, nobody wanted to be on a, a very highlight highlight. You know what I mean? So. You know, he was another great back. You know, obviously, Emmitt Smith comes up, Thurman Thomas comes up. But, you know, those guys had some really good lines that they ran behind. But when you talk about, to me, pound for pound, 
a guy who had a lot less to work with, you know, you're looking at a guy like Barry Sanders. So I'm going to wrap this back around now. And you're talking about the lines he he had and didn't have. And then I'm just thinking of Todd Gurley. And we saw this some in 2016. We saw this some this past year. And for a guy who's supposed to be one of the best running backs in the league, who we've seen just perform at elite levels, well, how come he's not able to reach those same accomplishments? How come he's not able to find a way? I know he's not a Barry Sanders. He's not doesn't have the speed of a Barry Sanders, right? You know, in terms of quickness, he has straight line speed. He has the ability to come out of the backfield and make some make some noise. But why does he get stuck the way he does sometimes? What is different about him compared to other running backs who have been able to overcome those particular challenges? Well, you know, and this goes into the psyche of the individual, you know, how you grow up, the different things like that. What really motivates you? And we talked about it towards the end of last year, you know, and I was just thinking, I just think there's something going on because his body language is starting to show, yeah, I don't really want to be here. I'm going to I'm going to toe the company line. I'm going to say the right things. I'm not going to be a troublemaker. But it just seems like something happened in either running back room, offensive room. And I just I feel like it has to do with, you know, maybe the Rams want to make, uh, you know, Jared Goff the, the face of the franchise. You just never know. I don't know who was on the 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 program cover last year, but there's a lot of little things like that can get a guy a little bit sideways in his feelings. And then, you know, it's just kind of a wrap. So I I just seem like there's just something like that, because when you start hearing this kind of thing, it's almost like he's told them already, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go work out with my trainer. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to have more than X amount. of, you know, it just, I don't know. It just all seems strange. But to me, I, I just point to something into team chemistry somewhere. On my end, for Todd Gurley, though, just going back and finishing the topic here, for Todd, I look at his situation there at the carries and like, why are you, why did you pay him this much then? Why did you invest all this money and bury yourself with you know, all the dead cap responsibles if you cut him or trade him instead of just making the call, making the tough call, and letting him go? Because it took what one injury, and you tried this whole work management thing with him this year and didn't work right. out well. If you're paying him the money, he needs to be getting carries. And if you're saying you're going to manage him to a certain rate, then what you're really telling me is he's not worth the money you're paying him and you're admitting you made a mistake. Right. Which, remember, we talked a little bit about did they pay him because maybe they really believed in him or did they pay him because they didn't want to take maybe a PR hit? You know what I mean? You got the new stadium. You don't want to start losing you know, ticket sales, seating contracts and all those things, you, you're trying to fill seats. So maybe you're not trying to rock the boat a little bit. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Derek. Why would you pay a guy if you actually know you're going to put him on this limited run count? I mean, they didn't know at the time, but you knew his history though, right? You, you're making an investment knowing he had this knee injury history in the past. He's had 
the whole ACL thing done. This is in college. They knew. Right. So why would you even, why would you go there? Why would you even take that risk? And now it's like, you, well, you don't want to cut them because of the dead cap hit, right? But then on the flip side of it, you're going to limit his carries. They went from being a team that brought him out of the backfield all the time in 2018 to becoming one of the league's worst at bringing people to the backfield, numbers-wise. And that's another reason why this offense was nowhere near what we were used to seeing. was because they didn't go for, They didn't use what these running backs, that includes Daryl Henderson, by the way, bring out of the well, backfield. Right. But you remember last year we started noticing – you know, and you mentioned it a few times in, in in regards to Coach McVay, like, hey man, I don't I don't want to hear that anymore about oh, you know, it's my fault, you know, okay, it's getting a little old. But you remember we were talking a little bit about when he would say things like, you know, they'd ask him, Well, how how come Todd wasn't in at this time of the game? Oh, well, it was just the flow of the game. Now, what we know about most good backs, they just put themselves back in the game. You know what I'm saying? They don't care. It's like, man, I'm going in, and I'll just run on the field and tell the other guy, get out. Maybe that's what Sean McVay wanted to see, Mike. Maybe Sean McVay wanted to see Tucker go out there, I'm out here. Get off the field. Right. Right. <laughs> right. There's so there's so yeah. much more to the dynamics there. And by the way, there's, this is not, not against Todd, but what are we really saying here? What's the message? Yeah, well, my thing is, with Todd just kind of being a, a athlete, it just seems like there's something going on. Again, to me, my point of view is there's something in the team chemistry, running back room, you know, the coaching room. Maybe you let go of the coach, you know, got something with him in the head, you know, because I just never seen, uh, you know, we call it passive aggressive. You know, you just come off, you go sit on the, the bench. Or maybe they say, hey, Todd, go in. And he looked at somebody and said, yeah, I'm not going back in. I don't know. But it just seems odd that you come out here in the basically the end of, Mar- of February, 1st of March, and say, yeah, we're going to already put this guy on a run count. Like, who says that? You might say that after mini camp, after the off season, after camp. And, you know, like, yeah, we're going to have to do that. Who says that right now? I don't know. I mean, why would you even talk about it now? We're not even to free agency yet, so what's the purpose? Right. So, yeah. All right. So, we're a grab bag of information tonight, folks. We have a lot we just want to get to, and I promised you an hour. So, we're going to kind of run through the last few things here, and if we feel the need, we'll come back to them next week. We do want to give a shout to our sponsor. Thanks for sticking with us all this time, Jim. Jim Hawk's book, Hall with Seeing Grit Glam, the 1950s Los Angeles Rams, tells the story of Jim's father, John, who played an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. You can check out a son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. You can read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elway, Craig Lexer, Tom Fears, and Les Richter. In this story, it's for the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hallwisteam.com and on Twitter at hallwisteam. It's available both in hardback, paperback, electronic form at Barnes & Noble and on um, at Amazon. Folks, proceeds go to Homeboy Industries. We've talked about them numerous times. It's a great cause. It's a great history book if you love the Rams. Go check it out. It's a good story of a father and son. Um, his story and it's... It's pretty special. There aren't many stories like this in football today. It's not one that you'll typically find, so go check it out. 
Hall was seeing great glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. It's worth your time. It's by Jim Hawk. All right, so a couple more things here. Let's just play a quick game of true or false. If we feel you need to come back to it, we will. True or false? The Rams are going to sign former Redskins tight end Jordan Reed. False. And why? Uh, we have, you know, some great tight ends already, and they're a lot younger and ready to go. You know, they've been here in the system. They've improved every year. No need to, to bring another new face in again. Team chemistry means a lot, and we saw last year may not have got the biggest bang on our buck by signing, you know, a number of older free agents. So I say false. All right, I'm going to go false. I because I don't think they're willing to go bring the guy in. That's all. I just don't think they're willing to bring him in. You can only take so many shots in terms of older veterans and what they can do with their worth. I'd say negative. I do wonder if Joe Everett will be there long term. He makes a pretty interesting interesting trade target if they're trying to get a different player in there, different skill set. He's going to be a free agent soon, so they may be somebody. They may be thinking about moving him, but I don't see Jordan Reed showing up there. True or false? The Cowboys open up the Rams' new stadium there at SoFi. True. Ooh, you think so? <laughs> Why? True. Uh, Jerry Jones, from my understanding, had a lot to do uh, with Stan Kroenke and kind of somewhat giving him some tips on how to get the stadium. And that was a big deal initially with uh, Mr. Spanos not being in initially and then coming back in later on. Uh, So that being the case, Jerry Jones is all about marketing the quote unquote greatest team, you know, America's greatest team, whatever they call themselves. So I would imagine for both parties, it would be a huge sellout crowd. So that's my opinion. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to go with (laughs) no. I'm going to go false. And not because not not because. It doesn't make sense. I think the NFL is going to want the 49ers there or the Seahawks. I think they're going to rivalry game. They're going to open their home slate in style. And I think no matter what, that Cowboys-Rams game is going to be on primetime. I think it's going to be on primetime somewhere. So, I mean, I'm not saying it definitely won't happen that first game, but does it make sense to have the rival 49ers come in there to kick things off? I think it does. Well, they won't do that because at least my last time, I mean, 49ers might out maybe for more 49er fans in there than Rams. So they may not want that. I don't think they'll. Well, not what about the Cowboys doing that? Well, the Cowboys, you know, they're going to have a missed bag of chips. But if it's a 49er Ram game, oh, for sure, it would probably be more Niner fans. I don't know about that. I think the Rams will be highly controlling on where those tickets go. I think Rams fans will be highly controlling on, how those, on where those tickets go. You know, those are expen- well, those, that's going to be expensive compared to what they do now. Well, that's true. But, you know, what happens is guys figure, hey, I can sell my tickets and stay home and watch it. So that's where that, that thing gets messed up. I mean, we'll see. But, but I say... You say Cowboys. I do say Cowboys. I mean, go Cowboys. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me, but I don't know. Uh, Isaac Bruce, 
recently noted that he believes that the greatest show on turf was better than 2019 Chiefs. True or false? When you start kind of comparing the two different things, you know, I'm going to say false in the sense of KC plays predominantly on grass outside. Greatest show on turf was on turf inside. So when you're playing inside, the elements are a lot more controlled. They're playing outside and doing some of the stuff that the Rams are doing inside. But the Chiefs haven't done it long enough, so that's why I'm sure Isaac Bruce is like, guys, we we did this for a good while. You've had, I guess, a good two-year run with a chance to have a three-year run, but... I'm I'm going to say that would be my choice, KC, in the sense of just because they play outside. Uh, I think it's our night to be opposing. Here we go. I'm going to go with the greatest show on turf. <laughs> True. And I'll say it this way. One, the Chiefs really struggled through a good chunk of this year. I think some folks forget about that because they got, they got it right at the end. They really did. Uh, the Rams were, were they were the league's best team all the way through that year. All the way to the end, from beginning to end, they were the league's best team that year. The, the kind of offense they ran was one that relied on such precise timing that I, ha- I haven't seen a team do that since. I mean, everything they did was ahead of the game. It doesn't mean that other teams haven't had great offenses, by the way. And just saying that what they did was something that even the Chiefs this year couldn't match. So... The defense, also defensive, pretty solid as well. I know you're talking about turf, but they built a team that was built to win on turf. They built that team to win using speed to take advantage of the fact they were on turf, and they did it to the tune of a Super Bowl win. So, I mean, I'm going to go with the Rams, not because they're my team, but because I think the body of work for the entire year shows that. Now, if the Chiefs had come out and finished with the same record, but they were more dominant throughout the course of the year in those wins and had the occasional hiccup, I'd be saying a different story. But, I mean, the Rams went, they lost three games that year, but that last game was when they sat everybody down and Joe Germain started for the Rams against the Eagles that last game of the year. So, I mean, that's where I'm going to go with it. And uh, last but not least, can we say a more, can we uh, play the old funeral dirge for. Greg Robinson, whose NFL career is very likely over, because 157 pounds of pot were found in his possession as he was moving across the country. I got <laughs> got some comments there, man. I just think it's a tremendous travesty for a guy, former first round pick, who has made a nice bit of money to risk everything on driving some pot across the country for whatever reason it just literally makes no sense unless you know dude has a gambling problem or something like that but unfortunately you got these situations where people feel like hey man i got i can make some easy money and they risk it all and then end up getting caught because you just can't do dumb stuff i just think it's indicative of what his entire career has been if you're out there hauling that much pot, you're trying to make an easy buck. You're banking on on getting it done. And that's pretty much what his career was. He never really worked hard wherever he's been. He never was able to fully become what he was supposed to be. He's, he's a bust. He's one of the biggest busts in recent Rams history. And 
there are poor decisions on the field for the team. There are poor decisions for the field on the field for the Browns, for Greg Robinson, and now a poor decision in life. And it's a shame, man. The shame for a guy who had that much talent as a lineman, that much athleticism for a lineman, and then in the end, it's all gone. So, I mean, I don't even know what else to say to that. All right, it's time for us to get out of here and end the show on a bit of a sad note with that. But yeah, we are looking for sponsors. So please reach out to us at ranstop 1945 gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 657-665-453. We've got a, re- a media kit ready to get out to you. Don't forget, we are part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go check out their their site at bigheadsmedia.com. And there's a lot of great podcasts there. And, of course, you know we have an Angels podcast as well. The season is getting ready to kick off here pretty soon. Go to Talk at Halos, and we are now uh, pretty much that, that podcast is Moving in and out right now of the top 50 in baseball podcasts in the country. So we're pretty excited about that. Okay. Any closing thoughts, Mike? Just that, man, it's a lot of things that are going to happen probably in these next two weeks that are probably going to be very exciting for us as Ram fanatics. Are we fanatics yet? Yes. I think we are. I think we are. Yeah. Okay, folks. Well, it is time for us to go. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can find me on Twitter at DCIAPALN. Mike at 1Duke23. His is so much easier. Just easier. Also, don't forget us on Apple Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Android, all those places. So for Mike and the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Paul saying, take it easy. We're out of here. We're out of here. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire.
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.